save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Good morning, this is Ellie Weiss, and welcome to Our Wild World. This program is about what's happening around the globe, via the experiences and knowledge of my guest hosts. Today, I am privileged to have John R. Platt, who is the editor of The Revelator, which is an independent forum under the Center for Biological Diversity. That's an online resource of excellent journalism. John has been an environmental journalist for nearly 15 years. His column, Extinction Countdown, has covered news about science, about more than 1,000 species around the world, and is now part of The Revelator. John has also covered cutting-edge technology, science careers, philanthropy, and the arts, and has won several awards for his journalism. I am thrilled to have John with us here today as we discuss not only the Center for Biological Diversity, what goes on at The Revelator, and how this fits into the larger scope of the conversations we've been having today. So we've got a lot of good things coming up. Welcome, John. Thank you, Ellie. Glad to be here. It's a pleasure to have you. So I read The Revelator often, and um, I share a lot of posts from it through our social media. So it's great to to talk to you today because we can cover a wide variety of topics. But why don't we start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and Mm -hmm. how you came to be with Start the Revelator and with the Center for Biological Diversity and how all that works. Yeah. Well, as you said, I'm an environmental journalist. I've been passionate about endangered species for a very long period of time, and it really became the main focus of my journalism, um, almost accidentally. Um, About 15 years ago, I started this thing as a side project. I called it Extinction Blog at the time, and that ended up becoming my professional life. Um, It I first moved over to a magazine called Plenty for a couple of years, and they went out of business, and Scientific American published it for about 10 years. And, uh, and then the, uh, the center, who I'd, I'd interviewed these folks numerous times over the years because they have a ton of great experts, they approached me about bringing Extinction Countdown and my expertise over to The Revelator, which is now at therevelator.org. And we've been publishing for almost two years now, and it's been um, it's been a great experience. We're, we're a, a nonprofit journalism site. We're published by an activist group, but we're editorially independent. And we cover endangered species, climate change, public lands, pollution and toxins, water, ocean, sustainability, the whole thing. And we, we've accomplished a, a pretty good amount in two years, even though for, for a short staff, a small staff of just two people. Absolutely. And if uh, listeners, if you visit therevelator.org, you will see so many articles that are relevant to 
to what's happening today. So, John, I can imagine with the crazy train that we're on, not only in the United <laughs> States and what's happening with our own environmental issues in this current administration, there is so much going on in the world. And um, the Center for Biological Diversity has a lot to do with the, I believe, reporting on the Convention for Biodiversity that's coming up, which leads into CITES, which we're going to talk a little bit about today, and mm -hmm. all the things that are affected by that. Is that, yeah, is that it's correct? True. I mean, they're, they're stronger in the U.S., but they do have an international operation. They will probably have delegates at uh, CITES and, and, and things like that, whether that, probably just paying attention to things. But uh, they're very active behind the scenes trying to push uh, things in the right direction to protect species around the world. And you know, here in the U.S., they, they, their, their, their team is made up of a lot of really great people, a combination of, of lawyers, scientists, and activists. So they, they're constantly watching the law and seeing what needs to get done to, to bring various species compliance or other issues up into, into, into the legal place where it should be. So they, they file a lot of lawsuits. They do a lot of good science to help back that stuff up. And they get people super motivated. And, um, yeah, these are guys, like I said, I, these, are, these are folks I've been working with and interviewing for, for 15 years. And I know, really, they're, they're at the top of their game. So it's really interesting to watch and be a part of. I'll bet. And the other thing I noticed, you um, when you, you mentioned they're involved in so much, the center's website is very different than a lot of, let's say, Defenders for Wildlife um, and uh, Natural Resources Defense Council. They don't always highlight the bad headlines and cry out for donations. Um, yes, people can and please do donate to the Center for Biological Diversity because we can keep them doing the work, but their news and their highlights also provide positive notes that we as the public can pick up on. Yeah, and, and that ties into my own philosophy as a journalist, too. You, you have to give people a mix of stories. You, you can't shy away from the bad news. You need to tell people what's going on. You, you need to give them the information that they need. They need to understand it and to take action. But you also need to show that there are successes going on. You need to show that um, there are people doing the work to make things better so that you don't get this kind of bleak, overarching feeling that leaves us numb and, and depressed and ready to walk away from everything. <laughs> environmental, <laughs> yeah, environmental grief. You yes. know, um, we're, I saw an article the other day that, you know, with the headlines being so depressing today that it just leaves people with no place to turn to in, in this feeling of despair. And I can attest to that because all through last year, it just left me with what to do. How can I do this other than crawl in my cave and go to sleep for 50 years to see how we got out of this mess? So um, that's a good side. So, folks, I suggest you uh, go visit uh, the Center for Biologic biologicaldiversity.org and read about all the things that are going on and specifically the newsroom tab because that is where you will find a whole lot of articles that um, the revelator has been 
uh, involved in doing in a wide variety of journalism and journalists. So um, you said the biolog- uh, the center and the revelator um, want to benefit environmental jur- journalism overall and to yeah. increase the level of discourse. Who are we talking about? Discourse with whom? Well, we, we obviously want anyone who's interested in environmental issues to read our site, and they'll get something out of it. But we, we also really want to try to reach the, the top people, the people who, who are doing something in the conservation community, whether that's activists or other journalists or politicians or people who are running environmental groups or scientists, academics. We try to present stories that aren't being told anywhere else, and we try to um, ask questions, and there aren't always answers, but at least ask questions. You know, are we in the are we on the right track to do X, Y, and Z? You know, what 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 are what are the things that are going on? Are we do are we on the right track? Are we on are we what what are the avenues to success for various things? And um, what are the things we're not looking at? Those are often questions we're trying to ask. That's great because um, a mentor told me there a long time ago the only stupid question is the one left unasked and yeah. today more than ever we need to be asking these questions so that we can go about finding the answers because when we answer one question it has a tendency to change the responses and the attention and how we address all the other questions that follow from it so um what are your priorities both personally Mm-hmm. And as the revelator. Well, personally, I mean, my priority as a journalist is is addressing the endangered species on, on the planet, the extinction crisis, which is, so many things influence that. Um, and I, it's, some might call it activist journalism. I, I, I really just look at it as, as journalism trying to get the information out there to, to so people understand what's going on and can do something about it. Um, as, as a site, as, as a whole... We are looking at, I guess you'd call it the the way things intersect. You know, science, politics, culture. How do these things combine? Um, basically, I want to get people thinking. I want to get people talking. I want to go and get them sharing our articles and debating them. Um, I want to have people. I, I, it hasn't happened yet, but I love people. To, someone to read something and say, on our site and say, "No, I want to write an op-ed about that. I have got a slightly different opinion." Uh, but um, you know, we, we've got a very active social media on Facebook and Twitter. We're getting a lot more responses. Our newsletter is growing in leaps and bounds, and um, just knowing that people can uh, can find stuff on our site that they're not getting anywhere else. And uh, we, we try to take a bit of a slow journalism approach where we, we're not just trying to publish every little headline. We could publish 18 headlines a day and still not cover everything. So we try to pick and choose to show a big picture of what's going on in the world, um, you know, mix a, you know, an endangered species story, a water story, a history story, um, things like that. So people so, can, yeah. And that's sort of what we're doing today. We're yeah. going to be connecting the dots. So um, no better person to talk to than you right <laughs> now to help us connect some of these overarching huge issues and how they relate to each other. So um, let's let's move into the Extinction Countdown. Yeah. Tell us an overview of that. 
and then we can delve into this a bit more. Yeah. Well, Extinction Countdown is a feature on the site, on the Revelator. Uh, it's it's something I started on my own a long time ago, and I've been writing writing it for, it'll be 15 years this August. Um, and every, every, every week or two, I try to cover a new species. And... Um, just, it's tough to choose them all, uh, choose between them all. But um, I try to pick right these days species that illustrate big concepts. Um, so what's going on? What 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 could we learn from looking at this one species? Um, and I try to mix it up. I'll do a, a charismatic megafauna. I'll do a rhino story, but then I'll do an insect or a plant. And of course, anytime which it's it's rarer than you think, but anytime an actual extinction is is announced, I try to cover that. Uh, and again, what we can learn from that. And um, it's, yeah, it's There's been a, my defining thing. Well, I'm looking at the page right now at therevelator.org under the category News Extinction Countdown. It's got a, a, a drop-down menu, so folks, go there and look. And you cover a wide, wide variety of topics. Just uh, some headlines found but not lost. The newly discovered shark may be extinct to um, the um, hellbenders, otherwise known as the snot otter. So the <laughs> other thing I notice is your titles are engaging uh, to bring in people that might not otherwise be interested or take a look at some of these articles and the articles are very well researched and very well written and um, you've got one here the biggest issues for wildlife and endangered species in 2019 so why don't we talk about that one just a yeah. little bit well that one was was fun and and challenging and tough to pull together and you know depressing um but I, i've done a lot of these uh at, toward the end of the year and at any given year or the launch off a new one to say what sometimes i, I did a, what did we miss this year what are we what are the what were the biggest stories and let's let's look ahead so i spoke to people all around the world and you know that obviously there's some stuff that we know on the micro level, we're not going to lose some given species. You know, the vaquita is probably going to become as close to extinct as it could possibly be this year, the porpoise that lives in the, the Gulf of California. But I, this year I tried to look at some bigger issues. I, wouldn't, I didn't want to just say, you know, this is what's going to happen with XYZ species. I wanted to look bigger. So we had folks talking about climate change. We had folks uh, talking about the... Um, Politics, Trump, Bolsonaro, and in Brazil or Bolsonaro, um, the the which uh, the the politics, the new presidential administration coming into Madagascar, which I don't think a lot of people are are too much aware of. We talked about the China's uh, Belt and Road Initiative, as well as greater efforts uh, that are deforesting the planet. Um, and, um, and and there's there's all of China's inroads. To yeah, Africa and their sixty, I think sixty billion dollar infrastructure project. I mean, China, and I'm not disparaging them at the moment, you know, but the Chinese government is a superpower now, it and is. they have the ability with their newfound wealth and especially the upcoming middle class. They're making inroads all across Africa. And many people say this is mostly by building roads and infrastructure to create a pipeline to take it out of Africa. 
Yeah, it's 100% true. And they're also doing the same in Latin America and South America. So this is frightening. Um, yeah. What you'd said a minute ago, it's depressing. And it is. It's, it's like a huge <laughs> lead blanket just flopped down on me. So how do we, as individuals, people on social media, rather than just be a clickivist, do something about this? Right. Well, it all depends on the issue, um, of course. But the biggest thing um, is whether is to vote on an annual basis, uh, wherever, whatever elections you have coming up, vote. The other thing is to support your scientists in whatever way you can um, and be an activist. Get, make sure your voice is heard. Um, write to corporations that are doing certain things and say, look, I'm not going to be your, your customer if, the, if you keep doing this. Um, and just to share, 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 share. Um, and and mix up the good stuff and the bad. So the same thing we do, so people can understand that, yeah, okay, it's awful, but we can also make a difference. And that is a huge part um, of the pro- of the problem and the challenge is, and, and for indi- individuals, we often think the problem is so overwhelming that we can't make a drop in the ocean, that our actions don't really make a difference, that it's come to the point where the corporate uh, international government levels have to make the change. So as you just said, we have consumer power, but I'm not sure a lot of people really understand what that is. Yeah, and it's tough. I mean, we're all beat up. We're all busy, 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 busy trying to earn every penny we can. And there doesn't doesn't always leave a lot of time to make the right choices or to take direct action. But, you know, if we don't, there's going to be problems. Well, if we don't, we've created problems. And there isn't going to be problems. We already have problems. So on that little note, we're going to take a short break. So stick with us, folks, because we have a lot to discuss. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Ellie Weiss and my guest, John Platt, from uh, the, the Revelator with the Center for Biological Diversity. So, folks, please look up the Center for Biological Diversity, bio, Center for Biological Diversity.org, the Revelator.org. Check out John's Facebook pages, Twitter feed, and um, all the other associated pages pages because there is a lot of news coming out. John is not the only journalism writing for uh, journalists, excuse me, writing for the Revelator. There is a team of exceptional people bringing us the news of today. So we sort of left off at the Extinction Countdown, um, a project of yours that you've been working on for a long time that is mm-hmm. now under the heading of Center for Biological Diversity. So my question is, when we talk about Extinction Countdown, what are we counting down to? Is it day zero? A planet devoid of life, or only weedy and homogenous species left? What are, what is our hope if we're counting down? Where is the place where we can steady this out? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, all of the above. For for so many species that are on the decline, that countdown is much uh, much tighter than others. Um, you know, the, the species that has a uh, a habitat that's only a couple of acres wide can go out in the blink of an eye. One bulldozer and they're gone. So we're, we're counting down. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like that, um, the clock, the atomic disaster clock that the, uh, the uh, I forget the name of the organization, the, the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists, they publish that, um, you know, the nuclear countdown clock. And it's like five minutes to midnight. Um, and Aren't we closer to one minute to midnight now? <laughs> we're a little, we're a little closer. Than, yeah, we're pretty close. But you know, the, the extinction countdown. We've always used um, a, a an hourglass as, as our symbol, and that's kind of been adopted by a lot of things now to, to indicate the extinction threat. And each little grain going through that is a, is a problem. Um, and yeah, the more we lose, the more we lose. The more homogenous this, this world becomes, and that's a problem. I mean, first of all, it's it's a philosophical and ethical problem. If the, if these species evolved, do they have a right to exist? If human beings are responsible for their disappearance, we have we should be doing something about that. Um, and losing these species puts us in so much threat. It, it endangers our food supply, as we've seen with the insect apocalypse that's going on. The so-called insect apocalypse. Um, it. it, it there's medicines to learn that we there's so much we can learn from any given species and and the fact that they just have a right to exist 
it's, it's which important. is a different attitude compared to the capitalist model that everything mm-hmm. on earth comes down to a monetary unit that is for sale. Yeah, yeah. And you can attach a monetary value to certain things. I mean, you can do ecotourism and everything, but you can't attach it to, by any means, all of it. And uh, Well, and by you, doing you so, we, we've created this extinction countdown. Yeah. Yeah, so many of these species are endangered by trade because people do place place a dollar value on them. So um, that leads me to um, one, two big points of what we lost this past yeah. this past couple of years. The northern white rhino, mm-hmm. it's gone, and this happened on our watch. We've known yeah. that the northern white rhino was in severe decline for at least ten, fifteen, twenty years. And you know the vaquita, and now it's the, the it's panthers or the subspecies of the eastern panther and the Florida panther. So my conundrum here is we know these things are happening: elephant, rhino, lions are happening, polar bears, the the poster child for climate change. We know these things are happening on our watch, so mm-hmm. we're watching them blink out. So how? In an extinction countdown, bringing awareness to this, why are we still, this is sort of an esoteric question that i just like to chat on. Why are we still so far behind the eight ball? Well, it's a million dollar question, isn't it? Um, (laughs) To put another value on it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an eternal struggle. Um, You know, I meet people, I talk about, I, I... I meet them for the first time. I say, I write about endangered species. I write about elephant poaching. Elephants are still being poached. You know, people live in their little bubbles, and that's that's fine. You know, you you ha- you can only handle what you can only handle. You have you've got a busy life. You you can only you can't be in, in super aware of everything that's going on in the world. But it, it's crazy that there's just still so much that we don't understand as a people. Um, Do you think um, devicism, social media, things like? Uh, Facebook and let's you know the the millennials that are mm-hmm. so connected to this in in the western world device oriented life that they live in only the parameters of that bubble and their own filters so that they're not even aware that there is a larger world going on outside well I couldn't speak to the millennial thing I, I really <laughs> don't um, but um we all we all live in our bubbles, and unfortunately, the media landscape has has enhanced that. That's one of the reasons we exist um, to be uh, truthful and and unbiased. Um, but you know, we've we've spent we've seen over the past twenty five years um, a, a a concerted effort to demolish the media, um, to turn certain portions of the media. Uh, you know, I could name them and I'm sure you'd know which ones I'm thinking of into propaganda machines and therefore to turn people against each other to present to position everyone else everyone as enemies to each other and and that's when you're when you're more worried about the, someone walking down the street uh, or crossing an imaginary border uh, than anything else you're not going to be concerned about elephants or insects or so do you think our mainstream media and our current political agenda is forcing us into um, 
rabbit holes and being terrified little rabbits so that if we popped our head out, afraid of what's going to shoot us next? Yeah, to a degree. I mean, the mainstream media is not a monolithic behemoth. It's a lot of different things. But if you only get your news from one point of view, one place, one perspective, yeah, it's going to be a problem. I think the political aspects of our lives are polarized. Uh, this last election was so... Well, I mean, the, the, the election we had in 2018 was pretty powerful, and it was good stuff. We saw a lot of positive change, a lot of really great people get elected, but it was a brutal election. Um, and, of course, the presidential one before that was just um, – it was bloody. Uh, but we do what we can. And um, you made a good point that the, our last election did show that there are – is, is a large swath of people who we may not be hearing from – but that have joined hands, so to speak, and voted. A lot more could vote. But um, taking over the House uh, and Democrats, we at least now seem to have given both the media, journalists, and journalism the opportunity to face head-on the things we could not face before because there was no place for it in in the landscape, so to speak. Yeah, and part of it is finding a way to get voters motivated. We we ran a great interview with the people behind the Environmental Voter Project. And, it, you know, it's not necessarily people aren't necessarily going to vote on climate change, but they're going to vote in their best interests. And if you can show people that what their best interests are um, or, or get them to essentially compete with their with their other with the other people in their neighborhood. Oh, so and so is voting. Well, what about you? Um, you can you can make you can make change. Which is also a bit of a scary thought these days because often just bringing up politics um, in a social circle or on social media, um, people, as you said, people are quick to slam everybody. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of an atmosphere of I won't speak, but I will vote. So um, there was that Esquire uh, cover of white boy in America in the average life uh, came out through Black History Month. So we're we're making a few bad choices in terms yeah. of what we highlight. So hopefully, and this is what a critical point about the Revelator, is independent journalism. We really need a lot of independent journalists to get out there and highlight the news. And um, that's why Our Wild World is so critical, is that we bring in independent voices that are speaking up to let our globally wide audience know we're not alone. Yeah, exactly. So this kind of segues into what's happening really soon in May, the CITES, COP18, being held in Sri Lanka. And uh, what's on the table there, which goes back into a lot of what uh, the Revelator writes about and the various journalists. Um, And you'd said earlier that uh, Center for Biological Diversity may be there. And are you going? Not personally, no. But I am going to be – I'm working on a piece – That'll be published ahead of ahead of CITES. You know, what are some of the big things we're going to be looking at? And, um, and because there are, this is a huge meeting this year. Um, there, there's 57 species listings, listing proposals, and some of them are quite contradictory to each other. There's a huge number of working documents. Uh, it's it's going to be a, there's a lot of really important decisions that are going to be made this year. 
and and it's still going to leave a lot off the table. But there's a lot of I mean, there's, there's going to be decisions on elephants, on rhinos, on sharks and rays. Uh, it, it's it's huge. Well, let's delve into that a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. Since you've been digging into it, I haven't had the opportunity yet to fully dig into what's on the agenda. I know Botswana, Namibia, and Zimbabwe are wanting to put ivory sales back on the agenda. And then I'm sure South Africa is going to want to talk about rhino horn and lions. So uh, the last uh, COP17 was held in South Africa, and they sort of got a corner on the market in um, delisting lions and the whole bone trade, yeah. which has proven to be a disaster. Not disaster. Only f- absolute disaster, not only for lions, um, but for South Africa's quote-unquote brand. And um, so tell us a little more about what you know is going to be on the agenda. Um, currently, yeah. I am thinking under my organization of sending a team to uh, COP18. We had a team at COP17, so it, it, it because this one is so critical, um, let's talk about this a bit, why yeah. it's so critical that people pay attention. Yeah. Well, the big one that I'm, I'm worried about and going to be paying attention to is elephants. Because like you said, they're, they're, um, Botswana, Namibia, and Zimbabwe all want to um, have re- restrictions removed and allowed trade in their ivory. And um, Zimbabwe is already getting a- around this a little bit because they've been selling off live elephants to China for, for a couple of years. It's a big – Since big, 2012. Yeah. Actually, so, since 2010. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're pushing and, and – and then there's another another petition to take to totally prohibit international trade from those countries, including South Africa. So there's competing things. And and what worries me, I think that this this lion bone thing that happened last time is indicative because CITES governs trade. And if you are restricting trade, you are still by definition a pro trade organization. I think that might there are people that would probably almost undoubtedly disagree with that assessment but you know if you're gov- if you're restricting or governing trade or or saying what's allowed you you're saying certain things are allowed and um the lion bone trade I mean, once they once they pr- allowed that in 2016 you know south africa doubled the number of um captive bred lions that could be killed and their bones exported this past year so and, th- and there's a lot of people that fear that this is there's a lot of wild lions making their way into this lion into this market. There's a lot of possibly even some tiger bones finding their way into this market, and I don't think that's even on the table to be debated again this year. So if if something like that happens with ivory, if we end up with legal sales from Botswana, Namibia, and Zimbabwe, what's what's going to stop every trafficker in the in Africa from killing every lion they can, shipping those? tusks to those three countries and figuring out ways to disguise them and put them into the trade, into the legal trade, and disguise those illegal tusks. So I'm really worried about that. Me too, because at COP16, they um, tabled any discussion to uplist elephants to Appendix 1. They Mm. kept them listed at Appendix 2, which allows for trade in certain countries. Now we go back to your point that CITES is a trade organization. And this is where a lot of people 
you know, are against CITES and think it should be dissolved. So I've had several critical conversations on this program of what CITES is. It's a treaty and it's a Mm -hmm. voluntary organization. So um, CITES is not specifically responsible for implementing the law. The countries are. So when you get corruption in the countries that are not following, that are continuing to trade, allow illegal wildlife trade, and the crime to continue to happen, then that's where the problem. So several of my colleagues are on CITES, and a, a big goal this year is to convince CITES, the secretariat, a new woman, uh, I forget her name, so we have an opportunity to change things here, but to get CITES under their um, umbrella of trade to think more deeply about the extinction and the species themselves and and bring up those that are endangered to really take a better look at this and be more, let's call it, wildlife friendly in terms of the science that we have that we're losing species, the extinction countdown. So um, the other side of this coin is if we didn't have CITES, there would be no regulations on trade whatsoever. Yeah, and I'm a huge... CITES fan. I mean, I, I'll, I'll be critical, but I think that they do great, important work, and, and the treaty does great, important work, and it needs to be there. But there have been some interesting commentary on that recently. First of all, there was just a study um, the other day that said uh, it takes an average of 10 years for a species that is labeled endangered to uh, make it to the to – the, uh, to the CITES list, and some have been waiting 24 years, so that's one thing. And then there was a great essay by John Scanlon, who was the previous secretary of CITES, who said, well, maybe we need a separate convention on wildlife crime and a way to tackle that better. Um, and, and wildlife crime is going to be a big discussion at CITES, but they can, all, they can definitely take it to a whole new level. Absolutely. And I believe before the CITES convention takes place, the Center for Biological Diversity has their big convention. Uh, Interpol had theirs a couple months ago. And then there's the IUCN and its offshoots, Traffic and Mike. They have theirs, and then they pass their recommendations on up to CITES. Now, whether CITES takes on all these aspects is is the big question. So I, too, am a fan of CITES. If we lost (laughs) CITES right now, we would be in a much worse place than we are. But CITES does need to shift. Um, I mean, it's been in place for so long. It has done a lot of good because I think if it weren't there, we wouldn't have anything. And then um, I think it was either two years ago at 16 or the previous one, um, 16 and 17, that the whole Interpol uh, Wildlife Crime and International Wildlife Crime Task Force was initiated. So hopefully we will hear a lot more about that. And the biggest thing to me, and maybe we can chat um, a little bit more about this uh, in our next section, because I just realized we have to take a break. So stick with us, folks, and we will be right back.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to Our Wild World. And welcome back. This is Ellie. We're, list, uh, we're listening to Our Wild World and my guest, John Platt. This episode is going so fast because we're discussing such huge topics and barely um, getting beneath the surface. So we left off a little abruptly on the uh, last section talking about CITES and uh, the upcoming um convention in May and everything that's on the table while we're also discussing the extinction countdown. So hopefully this year we can get CITES to maybe shift its attitude to be a little more quote-unquote wildlife friendly and instead of, um, oh I'll say profit as the bottom line in trade, uh, health of the planet be the bottom line. So this is a great point uh, in our conversation, John, to talk about de-extinction. Yeah. Uh, and it might seem like an odd segue, but it's not, because there are a number of scientific groups right now trying to bring extinct species back to life. And one of the questions that that raises is what's the legal status of those species? I mean, right now, obviously, let's use the, the northern white rhino as an example. There's only two in the world. No one can trade them. No one can move them around. That's a given. 
Well, what if you bring the species back to life? There are no laws preventing that thing from being sold or traded or slaughtered or used for parts. Um, so if you do bring species back, and that's actually you know, a, a huge set if. of questions, a big if, and, and also a huge set of questions, what are the legal protections? Is it then, do you, you know, it, it takes, even just in the United States, when the species becomes endangered, it takes years to get a species on the endangered species list. Do you have to put it back on an endangered species list? Do you have to, do, are, there, are there laws about it crossing borders? What are the biocontamination laws? How does, how does it affect criminology? Um, it opens up so many trade issues that aren't being discussed in, in anywhere that I've seen um, in, in really re- relevant manner. Absolutely. I mean, my mind is just expanded out to the universe and back. So the first thing that came to my mind with the example of the northern white rhino is that it was listed as endangered. We know it is. So you're saying that the same, because it's, let's take the example of cloning a sheep or pigs and stuff like that, they become intellectual private property yeah and you know sort of like the 3d printing of rhino horn so they become a gray area and do we still automatically list them as they were before they went extinct which would be the first thought that would come to my mind yeah it's a white rhino so therefore um it is protected but (laughs) now that's that's a huge question yeah, and how does how does CITES end up dealing with something like that? You know, what if what if we brought um, an extinct shark? The, you know, that that one I, that you that article you mentioned. What if you bring that back to that back to life? How do you can you can they trade the fins on that species? Can they can they can they move it from one country to another? Who knows? Well, it brings it into a whole idea of um, commercial breeding. Yeah, which is what we're doing with lions. Which what is what South Africa has done with rhino and what China is doing with the rhino they've imported mm-hmm. and it probably will do with the elephants they've imported and um so it 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 brings up a whole new it brings up a whole black box of yeah. what ifs yeah and you know it's like China already does that with tigers. Some estimates are that there are 10,000 tigers on, on Chinese farms just waiting for a legal market or more of more of less of a gray market for their products. But, I mean, come on, elephants. Who the heck wants to breed an elephant in captivity? It's huge. It takes a long time to, to, to grow and to reach sexual maturity. They reproduce really slowly. Only, you know, this, anyone who wants to commercialize production of, of elephants is just asking for trouble. <laughs> well, you can give them credit in one sense in that they are definitely future thinking. Yes. But um, the downside is they're not thinking of the interim, short and medium, long term. And, you know, with the other questions that are coming up today of personhood, does wildlife, mm. do animals have the rights of personhood as currently defined? And this is a lot of what Stephen Wise is working on with the Non-Human Rights Project. So chimpanzees have, certain chimpanzees have been declared personhood. Certain rivers have been declared personhood. I just saw an article the other day that they're trying to give Lake Erie personhood. Mm -hmm. So, wow, this, 
This is huge. Um, it is. Carry on for a little bit because I'm I'm interested. Yeah. Well, the other thing about de-extinction, you're never really going to bring a species back. Um, we we ran an article on de-extinction a, a year or so ago, and uh, um, the, the source told me, look, if if they bring back the mammoth, it's not going to be a mammoth. It's going to be an Asian Asian elephant with some mammoth qualities, fur, etc. So that you know, they're they're essentially going to be hybrids, and that's another legal gray area. What's the what and what's the what, what do you do with a hybrid species, and how important are they? Um, and then, well, let me just the, jump in here. Yeah, um, sure. Bringing back the mammoth—that's part of the um, Siberian Russian yeah. long-term scientific view of the Pleistocene project, and there. There was an excellent article, like eight, ten pages, that really uh, connected the dots of to why they're trying to do it. And the goal is not so much to bring back mammoth and mammoth ivory, um, which is a big part of the question they kind of left out, but to bring <laughs> back the grasslands yeah. that these huge herbivores created, and that grasslands are the best, one of the best uh, formats to for CO two sequestration CO2, co2 and and the methane bomb that's waiting underneath the permafrost you know if you've got gigantic creatures walking around and regulating the ecosystem and trampling down at the ground supposedly you're going to have a a a a stopgap against climate change and the the tests that they've been doing on the couple of acres uh in russia with other large herbivores yeah, it's promising but you know, it's going to take decades. It's going to take decades, and and more than three or four animals. So yeah. how about we do something now on, on a on a, a little bit more of a bigger scale? Um, I think the Pleistocene project is fascinating, and it's good. It's interesting science, and the people behind it are interesting. But come on, we need to we need to decarbonize the, the economy immediately. We don't need we don't need a, a hundred year plan to to regulate the Arctic ecosystem. Well, I'm, I'm glad there is somebody out there thinking in those terms, you know, beyond yeah. Trump, beyond our next five, ten years of uh, political destruction and devastation of planet Earth. But as you say, we need to be doing something now to mitigate what's happening now and what's going to be coming at us over the next 12 years. All from the I, I, P, P, IPCC report and the White House climate report, I had a guest on, uh, a climate accountability expert, that laid another bomb on me that, you know, there's things we cannot change at all that are coming at us. And what we need to do is find a way to live with it, adapt, and yeah. mitigate. Yeah, it's true. We're going to need seawalls and... and uh, Things like that, to and change the, the whole corporate structure, you yeah. know, of um, you know the the one percent gathering all the wealth. I mean, there was a huge change with the neoliberal neoliberal liberalism, and uh, read an article on that that it started out as a financial uh, economic policy, but it really turned into an ideology. And are the one percent willing? to give up and face give up what they've got and face limits 
Yeah, that's the same thing I was talking about. The same forces that reduced the power of your average media outlet were caused so many newspapers and magazines to go out of business that just sucked all the money out of them. There, where did that money go? It went to the one percent. And I, it, it, it's it's an overgeneralization, but you know, it's it's. uh, But it's happening. Yeah, it absolutely is, and um, you know, that's uh, that's going to be a major issue to address somehow. Yeah, and I'm glad to see out there on a lot of the articles and including on the org and your Facebook pages that people are addressing it. I The hard part to understand is there are so many um, separate issues that require deep thinking and research and data, which takes a long time to pull together yeah. to be able to tie them together in this overarching picture. So um, we've got like five, six minutes left today. (laughs) What can we talk about in terms of a takeaway that is a positive note? Hmm. Well, people ask me that a lot. And, you know, I spend my, my, my life talking to researchers uh, activists, politicians, people who are trying to make positive change. And to me, that is, by definition, positive. They might not be getting very far. They might be in the early stages. But just the fact that we're trying to learn more about what's going on or that we're trying to stem the tide or, or make progress, that alone is very positive and makes me feel like we can do a lot more. I think it's always the case. Um, you know, I think that um, the more we talk about these issues, the better off we can do. More, you know, hey, you got rid of straws. You're not using straws at home. Talk to you that about your neighbor. Hey, we stopped using straws. We bought these metal straws. They're really cool. Hey, are you, are you like, hey, I'm not buying this product because it's wrapped in plastic. You know, share that. You know, uh, hey, I found this great other thing that that. Hey, this product is so much better because it's not wrapped in plastic. Or it doesn't use this packaging. Or it doesn't use these chemicals. Share the good stuff. Share the positive changes you're making. That's all good. Um, and then I, I think it really – there's a huge revolution in science communication where scientists are getting better and better at bringing their message of what they've been working on to the public. And that, I think, is huge. That's why we run essays and op-eds from experts on our site. We invite scientists and, and activists and other, other people in, super involved in these, in these uh, issues to talk about what they're doing specifically or to talk about the big issues and say i've been working on this thing for 10 years here's how i see we 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 as a society need to get it better so lay out lay out your solutions um to bring it bring it right to the public bring it right to you know there are a lot of scientists who don't feel that it's within their purview to talk to politicians or the public they think that they should just be doing science well science propagates itself um if you want more people working on certain issues, talk about how you're working on it and inspire other people to do the same. That's a really good point because scientists usually live in a rarefied world of deep data and uh, a lot of details that the general lay public uh, usually doesn't have the wherewithal to put together. So with this shift in science, and I'm noticing it as, as well, scientists talking a little more uh, communicatively to reach 
uh, I don't want to say we're lowering the bar, but to reach more people. So no, I, yeah, I, you, you don't have to lower the bar. You don't have to dumb it down. You, you don't have to talk. I, I hate the, the, the these uh, talk, talk, telling the story like you're talking to your grandmother. No, no, no. My grandparents were all really smart. Um, talk, I'd say tell to, it like you're talking to the, your kids who are really smart. Yeah. You know, you're, let's say you're super involved in, in physics. Well, how are you going to explain your field to someone who's working super hard in biology? It's just that people have different different sets of language, different points of view, and learn to speak outside your point of view um, to get that message to a whole new audience. And that can be writing long things, that can be giving speeches, it can be being active on Twitter. Absolutely. And being a journalist with The Revelator and yes. tuning into what's happening at the Center for Biological Diversity, donating because we've just given, oh, about 55 minutes of what your donation helps make happen. It's not always sexy. It does, doesn't always end up in if an animal had a pocket, their pocket, or a specific thing. It goes to the larger picture today to make things happen and to keep the wheels turning that we can do something. We have to do something. And to engage people, and this is a biggie, and we've got a couple minutes, to get reconnected to nature. Not just as a recreator, but to go out there and sit and listen and contemplate. Yeah, that's that's really good. I mean, I, I love getting outside, and I, I'm not necessarily a big hiker because I find myself stopping and just looking at the stuff around me. I'd rather sit somewhere and 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 look at the the snails walking by, or or watch the birds interact with their with their environment, or just look at a plant blow back and forth. And you know, these are this is a constant reminder of what we have to lose. All this talk of the insect apocalypse, people are like, well, oh, my grandparent, my grandchild's never seen a grasshopper. Well, you know, get them out there to see things while we still can, because it's a reminder that some stuff is pretty messed up. Michael Soule would love you. Um, he did a wonderful article that we only protect what we love, and I had mm. him as a guest. And his idea of possibilism: there is so much that is possible if we do. Just exactly what you said. Instead of going out with a destination in mind, the destination is simply being out there, sitting someplace or tootling along and looking at all the amazing life that is out there. Yeah, that's wonderful. So, you know, John, this has been fabulous. I can't believe how fast the time went. So it flew. I, I know, absolutely flew by. So um, just looking at your websites and your your Twitter pages and your feeds, we could go on and delve in, deep dive into some particular things as well. So I certainly hope you'll be a returning guest. Oh, absolutely. And I hope people will go to therevelator.org and check things out. And uh, tell us what they want us to write about or what issues matter to them. And the invitation is always open for experts to write for us or for us to write about what they're working on. So That's great. Thank you for putting that in because that's really important. We have to start communicating with each other, everybody, face-to-face. Let's talk because that's what's going to get us out of this. By talking, we ignite uh, imagination and possibilism and things that we can do. So thank you, John, so much for your time today. 
Thank you, Ellie. It's been a pleasure. And folks, meanwhile, go step out into your wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now.